I've always believed the foundation of our fulfillment in life doesn't come from our success, but rather the strength of our relationships, not only with others, but also with ourselves. And how we develop a deeper connection is through self-reflection and purposeful conversations with those around us, especially like-minded individuals. And that is exactly why I created the What Fulfills You card game, to cultivate both more meaningful relationships with others, as well as ourselves on the journey of personal growth. I certainly use these questions as a guide for journal prompts and weekly check-ins with myself. And of course, when I am playing this game with friends on a Friday night in, you bet I am enjoying it with a glass of wine or two, who knows. Shop the card game now at whatfulfillsyou.com and enjoy an exclusive 10% off for listeners only with the code whatfulfillsyou10 at checkout. That's whatfulfillsyou10 at checkout at whatfulfillsyou.com. Enjoy! Emily Elizabeth, and I'm the host of the What Fulfills You podcast, a show for and about individuals always seeking to be their best selves. On this show, we talk all about building the mindset, finding the right careers, creating meaningful relationships, and so much more. Welcome to the What Fulfills You podcast. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the What Fulfills You podcast. On today's episode, I am sitting down with another guest, and her name is Rana Zand. And a little bit about her she is a talent manager and producer who joined the full service representation firm UNC MMN as partner last year. Prior to joining, Zan founded the digital department at Authentic Talent and Literary Management and has led that team since 2017 as head of digital talent. In 2019, she appeared on Variety's Dealmakers Up Next list. A first-generation child of immigrant parents, Rana Zan's love for entertainment began early and her upbringing informed her desire to work with talent of all different backgrounds with important stories to share with the world. Zan began her career as a trainee at Endeavor, where she worked alongside board member Dave Wurzschafter with clients including John Legend, Sam Smith, Malcolm Gladwell, Usher, and Alicia Keys. At UNC MMN, Zan continues to parlay her passion for the emerging digital media business into representing the next generation of diverse creators. The importance of giving marginalized communities a voice to share their stories is a necessity to reflect the audience's desire and need to see themselves in the content they consume. Her main goal is to not only help her digital first talent in utilizing their followings to conceptualize their goals off-platform, but also to facilitate talent sharing their stories with the world on a larger scale. So as always, I really enjoyed this conversation, but this one in particular, I really love Rana's perspective because she is older than most of you guys listening, and I've always been a believer in having these conversations with those that are maybe, you know, um, give or take 10 years older than you because they've seen a lot and and have had time to reflect on those experiences and are able to share what they would or wouldn't do differently while also still having the perspective of the current day and age. Whereas when we're talking to people maybe from our parents' age, their perspective and of course their generation is very different. And especially for Rana and I, we actually spoke about 
our background as being children of immigrant parents. And I found that part of the conversation also extremely valuable because that was the first time I believe that I had a chance to talk with a guest about that background and how that has shaped our lives and the way we perceive our career and our work ethic and our overall philosophy on life because of that experience as children of immigrant parents. And I also know that many of you guys listening also happen to be children of immigrant parents, whether you are a fellow Asian American like myself or from another ethnic background. I've always wanted to be very mindful about including that and the impact of that and also you know some of the struggles that we go through with having that generational and cultural gap with our family and parents and how that is unfortunately sometimes a big mental and emotional obstacle as you will hear Rana and I talk about a bit on this conversation. So overall a lot of value on this episode so let's dive into it. Well, Rana, thank you so much for joining me today. I am very excited to talk about your background, your career, because like I said earlier, I have not talked to anyone within talent management. And so would love for you to just give context first of who you are, your upbringing, where you're from, where you went to school. Uh, Give the audience a little gist. Sure. So hi, everyone. I'm Rana. Um, I'm originally from a suburb outside of Washington, D.C., Potomac, Maryland, Um, I went to high school at Winston Churchill High School, go Bulldogs, Um, and then I went to college in Boston. Um, I went to BU. I studied um, international relations there. I actually thought that I was going to go into journalism um, and law after I graduated, um, but that did not happen. Um, I'm a child of first generation. uh, I'm first generation. child of immigrants. My parents are both originally from Iran. Um, I I speak Farsi fluently as well as English. Um, They came to the States when they were um, going to college and they, as, as, you know, the political unrest continued to grow in Iran, they decided to stay. And um, that's where I am now. So I've, I've been in this you know, the U.S. my entire life, it's it's home to me. And um, after college, I was taking the LSAT. I studied for the LSAT. My mom was convinced that I was going to go into law school. I applied to a number of schools in Los Angeles. And in the meantime, while I was waiting to hear back from school, I told my mom that I would like go and find an internship and, you know, find a way to be able to like make myself useful. And so I started working um, at a little talent agency called WME. I'm sure you've heard of it. And at that time, um, I started to hear back from schools. And my my plan the whole time was to like figure out a way to finagle out of getting out of law school. And so um, after I'd been at the agency for a few months and, you know, did an extensive amount of research, research, I told my mom, well, mom, look, like you actually don't need a law degree to do this. And so I'm just going to (laughs) stay. And uh, it took some uh, time to, to sort of educate her on, 
what it is that I was pursuing. And truthfully, I don't even know if she really understood it until I really started to get a lot of momentum for myself because, you know, as an assistant, you're supporting someone else's career. And so it's not really as evident. Um, and once I, um, uh, once I started to develop my own roster and represent talent in myself and, she was able to see tangible things like actual deals that I touched on or events that I was attending with clients or um, another example is I, I helped develop and produce a, a small movie years ago. And so all of that sort of started to like help her understand like, oh, now I think I get it. Yeah. Well, first off, it's funny that you mentioned law school because I at one point considered law school as well. I'm sure if, if you also are a child of immigrants, then you had probably three options, doctor, lawyer, and engineer, because that's all I had. Exactly. And that's actually a great point to touch on too, because I think you know, for me, it, it may have been even like slightly easier because I'm like the the brink of millennial slash Gen Z and I have an older brother, but I'm sure back then for you as well, that was probably extremely hard because it was not as modern as today with marketing, social media, the way it is now um, within that industry as well. How did you, like what were, because for me, even speaking from personal experience, but I get this from uh, listeners as well. They talk about how to like the confusion of how to not let the parents get in your head right it's like okay you see you're experiencing this firsthand you're the assistant you're doing the day-to-day work and then you get home and maybe you're you're on the phone with your mom and they're like hey how's your day what'd you do and you're telling you're like feeling great and then they kind of maybe talk down a little bit because they're like yeah you know you, you should be doing this like you could be doing better you could right and so I've experienced that myself and some of my listeners have as well but I would love to hear from you how did you overcome some of those types of conversations or that mental obstacle of maybe a little bit of lack of emotional support, so to speak. I surrounded my, I've, I've always had very um, wonderful influences around me from uh, friends who are, who like don't come from immigrant backgrounds who were able to sort of like ground me in a way that, and, Mm -hmm. and validate me in a way that maybe my family wasn't able to at the time, not for lack of wanting to, but I just think that they didn't understand. Um, Even, you know, even now, I I don't even know if every, everyone in my family totally understands what I do, but they, the, the support is, is there and, and clear. Um, that they're doing their best that they can to be able to do that for me. But yeah, uh, a strong support system, whether it be friends or at the time um, uh, it was colleagues, I, I, I was able to create a, a close group knit of a, a female assistants primarily just because our space is primarily dominated by white men. Um, mm. and, and they even were able to help me in a, in a way to to understand what my objectives were, what my goals were, and help me figure out a way to be able to get to that place. Uh, any kind of support system, however that might look might look like to you, is the best way to be able to help ensure that you continue to maintain whatever goals and and, and purpose that you have for yourself. I think that the quote unquote lack of a better term, the lack of support from 
your immigrant family is, is not from lack of care or interest. And I think that I finally was able to figure that out after a lot of time and therapy. Therapy is like something that we can talk about later, but everyone should be in therapy. <laughs> um, and, and truthfully, I was able to see, well, okay, they, they care about me. They just want the best for me. And they really just genuinely uh, are, are fear that I, I won't be in a place that I'm going to, that, to sustain a very strong trajectory. And to be fair, our industry is so, I mean, unstable is not the right word, but it, it, it's not something where it's like, okay, like you do, it's, it's not a, a trade, right. Where you kind of like take these necessary steps and then like you get to the place that you need to be, whether it be like a doctor or whatever. And then you get your degree and like you, you know, apply for residency and blah, blah, blah. And so I, I think the unknown is where a lot of the fear and lack of encouragement came from. And so at, over time, incessantly educating my family as much as possible was, was how I was able to, to keep their voices at bay and also reassuring myself and, and doing the work on myself to be able to, because no one is going to be as sure of you as you are. And so if you are able to convince yourself of that, then the rest doesn't matter. So I think that as I was able to see myself progress through my career and trajectory, you know, I, I started as an assistant on a desk and then I was, um, I, I went to like the desk of a board member at the agency, which was tremendous because I got to work with massive talent. Um, and then I left to become a manager. And then as a manager, my roster started to grow. And as my roster started to grow, it's like, you know, all of these things sort of were pointing to, okay, like I'm heading in one direction and that is up. So I, I'm doing something right and I should just keep doing what I'm doing and keep my head down and, and be a good person and do the work. And so uh, if you are heading in that direction, then I, I would just continue to, to, to focus on whatever it is that's in your gut. And, and it's more likely often than not that it's telling you the right thing. During that time too, I'm assuming was probably early mid twenties for you through like just your, probably your entire twenties, right? 22. Yeah. 22 is when I started. Uh, I, right before I turned 22. Yeah. I started working at the agency. Uh, I was going to ask, how did you find balance, so to speak? Right. Cause I'm sure, you know, at any point in your twenties, when you're starting out in a career and especially Again, speaking from personal experience, you're also battling that voice from your parents or your mom saying like, we wish you did something else that was more fulfilling to us or more like safety net for us. And so I think um, it can be hard because it's like, okay, you, you are putting so much of your energy on that career aspect because you want to ensure for yourself as well as your family and, you know, whoever else that you want to ensure like I'm, I'm on the right path. Um, but then on the other hand, there's like that social aspect and then relationships and all that, which I think a lot of people start to ask once they are a couple years out of postgrad. Do you have any thoughts on that? Or was there any way that you started to discover, okay, I need to share that energy with my health and, you know, my social life? It did. I did not <laughs> until, until I turned, I think like 25, 26 one of my first friends from college got married at 25. She was the first of our, our group of friends. And that's, I think, 
relatively early. And I think that she would agree there were certain circumstances that made her get married at that point. But um, I, I think as soon as that happened and I was like, oh, I'm an adult now. <laughs> Um, I've been adult for seven years. Um, uh, and, uh, this isn't, this isn't a, this isn't, you can't, you're not playing house anymore. This isn't a game. And this directly influences where you're going to be in the next few years. What does that look like for you? How do you prioritize the things necessary to ensure that you get the things that you want. And so essentially I, I like created an outline for where I saw my life going. I think as a young child, I always like pictured being like a young mom and all of those things. And when I realized that that wasn't really potentially going to happen, I kind of had to like regroup with myself, uh, understand at that point in time, what was feasible or not, and then to move forward. And so um, the balance came at that point in that realization and uh, work even now, even now I struggle with it, continues to be what feeds me and fulfills me even as a new mom. Um, But, you know, the balance came from, okay, well, what, like, how am I doing things in moderation? Like what, what is like the healthy way to approach these things? Because, you know, everyone like at the agency is, you just feel like you're in a constant like spinning wheel and you're, you kind of everything like always melts together. You work the craziest hours. I mean, I was working probably from 7am to 7pm most days and I'd be lucky if I was able to fit in a workout after for an hour after work and then hopefully get dinner somewhere. But because networking takes up such a big part of our career, I was meeting with other assistants, coordinators that were willing to take the time to meet with me, continuing to like annoy the crap out of my boss and, and make sure that I was keeping in touch with him and he was helping me progress the way that I needed to, too. And so um, when work became the only thing, I was like, okay, well, like, I also know that I want to start a life with someone and that I want to have children one day. And, you know, timing maybe like doesn't really matter, but I, I know that these things are important to me. And how do I fit that into all of this? And so slowly, like, I was only instead of, instead of doing a drink every night for work or, you know, drink or, or coffee or whatever, every night after work, I was doing two to three times a week, which was still a lot. But to me, especially when my peers were doing expect like an, a ridiculous amount of those networking events, I realized that I wasn't necessarily missing out because if I was focusing on what it is that I wanted to do, then that's what mattered the most. And so um, a few years later, I met my boyfriend. We were in a long distance relationship, but I moved to New York after being in LA for seven years. And uh, I would say actually from like 28 to like 30, 31, my career didn't take a back seat, but it was definitely secondary to my personal life, uh, which is strange because that is not natural to me, but I had to force myself to do it because I knew that once my like personal life felt 
aligned, which it very luckily quickly did for me. I married my boyfriend now, you know, he's now my husband. We had a beautiful child together. And so now that all of that is sort of feels like it's being taken care of, I'm like steadfast back in career mode. Uh, And look, I'm like, I'm sure the conversation will come back up if, and when we decide to have another child, et cetera, but really like taking a like tangible grasp on that balance to be able to maintain whatever it is that you want to do was, was how I was able to get through it all. Did you, okay. So I guess looking back, like where you're at now, would you say that it's important at some point to sacrifice a bit of that personal life in order to excel at a certain rate in your career. Um, And I ask that too, especially for this generation, Um, you know, again, you'd understand this having immigrant parents, we have this certain discipline instilled in us because of the hardships they've gone through to get here. And so it's always interesting to me to kind of see how, I don't want to say like easy it is now, but it is much easier than it was, you know, 20, 30 years ago. And I think sometimes this gen- the younger generation kind of is a little bit less willing to put in those extra hours and that extra hard work. And they're all about balance, which I am as well, but they're there. You have to understand breaking it into chapters, like you spoke about and considering, you know, your success in your career, what do you, what are your thoughts on sacrifice and discipline and, you know, willing to sacrifice some of those years? Um, or, or do you think is actually looking back now, would you do it differently? Looking back now, uh, I wouldn't do it differently. I was still, I was, I was still like performing probably at like a hundred percent in my career and a hundred percent in my personal life. And at that point there was no room for anything else. Um, and as I mentioned, even now, like throw a kid in there and, and everything kind of just goes (laughs) to shit and, um, not to shit, but like, it just, you really have to like, I mean, me and my husband sit down or try to sit down every night to go through like our personal life lists. Like, who do we need to see? Like, who do we need to make plans with? Who keeps reaching out to us? Like what work stuff do I need to prioritize? How can we divide and conquer? It becomes you, you, as much as you, I naturally am a little bit more spontaneous and feel like, oh, like, we'll just, you know, we'll make plans with whoever and like, well, but that is impossible. I have to even like schedule when I'm like going to pick up dry cleaning in my calendar or it doesn't happen. So that, uh, like living by my book, like that helped so, 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 so much. And, um, to the point that you were asking about putting the hours in, I mean, it is, I see it, um, that this generation might not, it's a smaller percentage. There, there is still a percentage of people that are, that work incredibly hard, but I think that the percentage is smaller than our generation. And, you know, for example, I believe in, in, in balance in, in all of this, in all senses, But if you want to be a specific at a specific level, that that balance comes at a cost. 
And so, um, for example, let me just talk, like, I'll walk you through a like typical schedule for me. Uh, I try to wake up between six and seven o'clock because my daughter usually wakes up at seven or between seven and seven 30. So I try to wake up in the morning, look at my inbox as quickly as possible, check if I have any texts from clients before I do anything, which I know that is not healthy. And I'm trying to figure out a way to be able to like, not look at my phone first thing, but that happens. Or I go to a workout class at 6am and like my husband will take care of getting her ready in the morning for our nanny who comes at eight o'clock. So if I'm not working out or whatever, seven to eight o'clock, we're getting uh, our daughter ready for the day and um, playing with her and reading her books and whatever. And then nanny comes from eight to six o'clock. I truly would not be able to do what I am able to do without her. And I tell her that all the time that I'm so, so grateful for her, especially because I genuinely feel like she's an extension of me. She's incredibly calm and peaceful. And that's the kind of home that I want my child to be able to grow up in. And so that takes a tremendous amount of stress away from me that probably would take me even further away from work. And so then as soon as she gets there, I like hand her off eight to six o'clock back-to-back meetings and calls, client meetings, in-person, not in-person, et cetera. And then I try to get home by 5.30, 5.45 if possible, but it doesn't always happen that way. There are many nights that my husband might have to take care of her and put, um, like do the nighttime routine, which is like giving her dinner, giving her a bath, giving her a bottle, putting her to sleep. Um, and if not, then that's me who does that. And she goes to sleep between seven and seven thirty PM. And then I'm right back on email until 10 o'clock. Usually sometimes later, it depends on how my workload looks. And then I go to sleep and get to do it all over again. So that's just during the week. And then on the weekends, we don't have a nanny. And so some days it's like I'm taking the lead on taking care of our daughter or some days my husband is, but I'm also working on the weekends. I mean, I just told you before we started speaking, like I was away all weekend for a client commitment. And so you can imagine what that looks like because it's, it's moments like that where I'm like, oh man, I feel like I'm kind of like burning the candle on both ends, but you like got to push through it. I, I worked, I, I flew from LA to New York. So I worked the entire flight both ways. I flew on a Friday and I worked the whole way and I flew on a Sunday and I worked the whole way. So it's stuff like that, that I think that sets people apart from their peers. And I think that allows me to be in a much more um, optimal position. And, uh, I think that in the end, I, people that share similar, um, ambitions will, will be in a, in a good place if they kind of look at their lives that way. Yeah. And I could not agree more with you, especially when you mentioned, you know, it's, it's a mentality when it comes to, how bad you want something and at what level you want to be at and what level you want to be performing at. You know, I was a former athlete. And so um, it was always something that I had to remind myself, like it's, it's either you or your competitors, you know? And um, I think sometimes today's world doesn't like to acknowledge that part, that it is 
competitive in to to be where you want to be. It's not like roses and cherries along the way. Like there are sacrifices and, you know, you can't dilly dally all day and and do whatever. Um, But I think that's why I love that you shared that. And even with you being a, a new mom as well, I think that's incredible that you are still working that hard and, and putting in those, that dedication, because again, I think, um, and of course too, it's, it's each person's preference, right? If someone wants to put mom and family or being a mom at the forefront, that's a different story as well. But um, I love that you share how passionate and, and dedicated you are to your work and that you also are aware, like, this is what it takes in order to be at this level. You know, I think sometimes people need that reminder more. I think I had a really good example. My mom was a single mom and uh, is a civil engineer. And so she, and and I'll share a, a sample of what her schedule used to be like. She used to wake, we had a live-in nanny, which again, we were very fortunate to have, but she would go to the office at 5 a.m. She would work until seven, come back to come back home, pick us up. She never, she always wanted to be the person that picked us up and dropped us off at school, picked us up, took us to school, uh, went to the office again, came back around 2.30 to pick us up from school, take us to our after school activities. She would bring work home with her, work at home while we were at our after school activities. More often than not, she would also cook dinner for us or would have prepared dinner over the weekend. So the nanny could sort of like quickly put it together for us. Like I mentioned, I'm Iranian American. It was always Persian food. (laughs) And like, like I, and she, she did that every single day, my entire life. And I don't know how she did it because especially at that time, Divorce was so taboo, especially Mm -hmm. for a Middle Eastern woman. And, you know, like I get emotional thinking about it, but she like did everything that people probably told her she couldn't ever do. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like I don't have an excuse. Um, (laughs) I feel like I have so much more than she did. And uh, like health wise and... So I can't complain there, you know, I I have Mm -hmm. a husband who loves me and supports me. I have a beautiful daughter. I have wonderful colleagues who support me. I I will say I never felt this way and, and as comfortable as I do in my career until I started working here. Mm. Um, I don't know how much you know about like the whole macro ecosystem, but almost all of us are people of color or women Mm -hmm. and that not no longer having to be like the like diversity coach at my job, because that was not part of my job title takes away so much more of added stress that I had in the past. Um, And, and I, I really genuinely do not think I would be able to be where I am right now had, had it also not been for the people that I surround myself with. And like I mentioned in the beginning, uh, your support group, however, that might look like is, is, is what will help you get to the place that you need to be. And so, yeah, I just, I'm very grateful for all of that and and know that I don't take it for granted. 
Can we dive into a little bit more? This was a great pivot too. Um, I want to talk more about your industry because I think that it's funny too when you mentioned WME. One of my girlfriends here, she works at WME in New York. Um, but you know, she she tells me a little bit about like how stressful it can be, and especially her. I think she she's two years younger than me, so she's like in her first full t- first year out of like full like college. As uh, you know, in in her full time career, um, but I think because it isn't as conventional, and I think maybe because too, for me, I lived in I lived in LA and I live in New York now, so I have exposure to it. But someone in let's say I don't know, like Dallas, might not have as the same exposure to this kind of industry, and you know. So can you explain a little bit about like what is it like, and how does one get into it in their first year out of college? Like where does that interest come out of? Because you don't really hear people go to school for you know, talent management or being in that industry, it might be more PR related or communications related, but how does that tie in, um, you know, going into this field? So I, I went to school in Boston. I went to BU. I, there was, interestingly enough, there was like a pretty like big core cohort of LA transplants that went to BU. And Mm. I happened to have befriended a good amount of them. And Luckily, because of whether it be their own parents that were in the industry or friends of friends that were in the industry, I was able to start that networking pretty early on. I actually interned in LA at Interscope Records before I graduated from college. And that came, um, that actually, I think, came from me directly just applying for the job. But the my first job, which was at WME, came through a friend that I went to college with. She was already an assistant Mm. and she put my name, you know, like went down to HR and told them that I was someone that they should bring in to interview. And as, as we, I think all know at this point, most opportunities come from who, you know, and especially in this world. And so that that's how I started. It just was uh, like reaching out to as many people as possible to see who might have a connection. I, I actually originally thought that I wanted to go into producing, which I still do. And, and you can do as a manager, which, which is what I love about my job. But everyone was incessantly telling me that because you like, you know, you didn't study this in college the best way to be able to like go to school for this is to work at an agency. It's the hub of, of entertainment. WME was, um, was the hub of information and the best place for you to sort of get your education on the entertainment industry as a whole. They have any agency has access to so much, um, so much, from all different areas of the business. And so I knew that for me to get a sense from the inside of what it is that I actually did want to do, that that would be the best point forward. And so when I started working there, I actually didn't even really know. I kind of had an idea. I was like, okay, like, I know that I like potentially want to work with talent. Um, I'm, I'm in the, uh, I'm like in the floater class and, and I'm trying to get my way onto a desk. And truthfully, because I don't even have any idea what it what what it meant to be an assistant, I just was like, I'll get on any desk at this point so I can figure out how to be able to just handle being someone's support. And then once I get that down, then I'll move. I'll, I'll figure out a way to be able to move to the department that I want to move to, and to like really start getting 
like my bearings and, and knowledge on the space. And so, yeah, I, I started on a desk as soon as I could. You basically have to like campaign for yourself. You, you know, it really starts with you just like, it sounds like you start in the mailroom and you like push around a cart and like drop off mail to every office. But as you're doing that, most of the assistants sit outside of their agent's offices. So you're kind of like trying to like talk to the assistants and like get to know them. And also you just become familiar with each of the offices because you're dropping off specific mail for specific clients. And so you're like, oh, I know that this person works with this person and blah, blah, blah. Or like this person focuses on lit or talent or uh, production or et cetera. And so, um, after, after I was able to, to figure out the assistant thing and really figure out the offices that I wanted to work for, because that's a whole other game is like, Oh, which agents genuinely like take an interest in helping their assistants and, and take and mentoring their assistants. Because I knew that I, since I had zero connection to Hollywood at all, that I was going to need that extra support in any way that I could find it. And I, I was very lucky. I worked for a number of people there, but the, the last person that I worked for, um, Dave Warchafter, who was the president of William Morris before they merged with Endeavor, um, he and and honestly, probably any of the assistants that have ever worked for him can say the same thing. I still have a relationship with him. He is, is an incredible person. I remember the, like the one thing that I was sad about when I was leaving WME was that I wouldn't be able to listen to him on his calls because all the assistants listen in on calls to be able to take notes and et cetera. Mm -hmm. But he, there was his ability to speak with such diplomacy and calm and, but, but sternness was something that I desperately wanted to take on into my own career because, you know, if you, if anyone has watched Entourage, then they know like the Ari character and what like agents tend to seem to be like. And I now on the inside have seen what, those agents are capable of doing and then seeing what my, what Dave was able to do. I was like, Oh, it's a no brainer. Like so many people love him because he's just uh, wonderful to work with, not to mention also brilliant at his job. And so I knew that not only was I going to just have to be a hard worker, but I also was going to have to maneuver in the way that would get uh, would, would allow to make my business an incoming call business because, and, and I actually think that I'm in a place now where I do feel like that's, that's where my career is. People genuinely like working with me, not because like being nice is me being a pushover. It's just, it's genuinely easy to work with me and by virtue of genuinely easier to work with my clients and so it, 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 that's, that's been a really wonderful learning experience for me too. You guys, I've been drinking Magic Mind for months now and I have to say it's freaking gold. I mean, it literally tastes so good that I sometimes drink it twice a day, which by the way, nothing wrong with doing so, but they do recommend only one a day. So that goes to show how much I do really love this stuff. And I did drink one before starting my workday today. 
So why I love Magic Mind so much is because it actually makes me feel really calm and focused and it's also that perfect push that gets me into my flow state, which is what it's meant to do. And I'll share a few key facts and ingredients in this product. So it is known to increase and improve productivity. It has very little caffeine and it only comes from matcha tea. It's a great alternative for coffee. If you drink coffee for energy and focus, I personally don't. I like to drink Magic Mind with my coffee or just after because the morning coffee and just making coffee, like I just don't want to give that up. It also helps fight off fatigue and brain fog as well as some ADD symptoms. And the best part, it is all natural ingredients, including adaptogens, matcha, and nootropics. If you've been thinking about it for a while, I highly recommend you give this a try. It comes in a box of 15, and it's definitely the perfect amount for the month. And even better, you can enjoy 20% off your purchase with the code FULFILL at magicmind.co slash fulfill during checkout. That's fulfill, F-U-L-F-I-L-L at magicmind.co slash fulfill. Enjoy. Was there ever a point where it got too much for you and you were like, I, I would, you would consider switching careers or industries? I think that in any career that happens, I think that that's just normal human insecurity and, uh, and doubt. I think that's just an innate part of us as beings. I think that I go through ups and downs on whether or not this is something that I'm meant to be doing, or if it's something that I feel like I genuinely will be successful in, in the long run. I think that I take it a day at a time. It's impossible to plan out year, a year or years in advance. And I think that focusing on what I have in the present and how I can control that to the best of my ability is, is really the only way that I, I think that if you kind of like look that far down, it it really only will harm, do more harm than good. And so, yeah, Mm -hmm. I, I, I kind of really just try to maintain focus on what's in front of me and then, uh, you know, address challenges as they, as they come. I will say, especially in the, in the talent world now and, and the kind of like verticals that I sit under with, with new, um, with new media on one side, the digital creators, you are because it's a it's it's still a smaller space than it seems people find that my knowledge is valuable in a ton of different places like you know like youtube or tiktok for example is always looking for ta- for people that are good with talent and that also understand the space and so I, I can't tell you how many times like we, me or any of my colleagues that work on the Uncommon team are getting interest from those kinds of places to go and work there because we have the relationships with talent that they need, relationships with representation, uh, representation that they need. And so it's it's kind of like a cheat code for them, right, in, in the whole game. Mm. And while 
that is enticing because like you get the wonderful cushness <laughs> of working at a tech company and all everything getting paid for and blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, maybe that might be something for me down the line, but I, I, what's, what motivates me and excites me about my career right now is that I'm, I'm part of a, a, a world that is all being created as we speak and, uh, we're developing protocols as they come to us and are navigating deal structures as they come to us. And so, I, I think that that's what's exciting and challenging and, and, and allows me to continue to stay motivated in doing what I want to do. I feel like you would know this as well, especially because your your work ethic and your focus in these years have been, you know, so much there for your career. Uh, looking back and just observing how you approach your career, what would you say are the top three traits needed to succeed in your industry, but also just in, if you want to be at that level in general, what would you say were the top three traits for you that you're like, oh, wow, I think I made it this far because of, you know, this or, or whatever that may be. For entertainment, particularly your book of business is based on your Rolodex. And so I would actually say that while I did an okay job of this, I would have probably continued to network even more than I did. Um, I, I luckily, like over time, I've developed a lot of relationships. And so I feel like I'm in a good place now, but it, it is an incredibly integral part of this industry. And especially if you work on the representation side. So if that's something that you are curious about or have an ambition to do, start meeting people, as many people as possible. Whether or not they're in the exact position that you want to be in, Dave always mentioned to me, well, I'll always take the meeting. And so I kind of, that's the, the kind of mentality that I take, even if I'm getting a request for a client that I know it's not something that they're even going to be remotely interested in. How do I know that that's not something that I can pivot to someone else? And it, you know, knowledge is power. And so knowing as much as you can, learning constantly, being open to being challenged, uh, the net, networking is, is a big part of that. And so that that's one piece that I think would uh it will help anyone that wants to break into this industry. Another piece is, I think a lot of self-respect. Um, not only it, you, you work with a lot of characters and externally and internally at your job. And so it's important to remember that sometimes you're going to meet a lot of people that are, um, not as kind as you'd like, or not as just, just not as, as maybe not as I'm trying to think of a nice way of putting this, but they, that, that maybe aren't as willing or open as you are. And so maintaining your maintaining self-respect and 
trying to offer whoever it is that you speak to with the same level will, will really take you far and will distinguish you from a lot of people that work in the industry. Because truthfully, I actually think that, I think it's getting better, but I don't know if that is something that is held to a high regard that it should be. Like I said, there's a lot of characters. And so you're going to have to be be kind of a chameleon or are adaptable and can and maintain a uh your your sense of worth even though you you are constantly being inundated by like potential negativity and and just issues that arise and so if you keep yourself whole in that way it really will it, it really will help you tremendously. And then I think the last thing is don't let the, the comparison game, don't let yourself, don't let, don't let someone else's success make you feel like it's getting in the way of yours. There's so much room at the table. Let everyone, like everyone can sit down and everyone can be doing the same thing and everyone can be successful there's so many people to, you know, there's so much talent to represent. There's so many projects that are happening. Like there's just so much, there's no reason to let, to let like anyone else get in the way of your own career. So just keep your head down, focus on things that you are able to control and, and the rest really will fall into place. I feel like that's one thing that I was really, that I'm, that I'm really proud of myself. And I don't say that about myself a lot, but I'm really proud of myself for doing, I think it could have been really easy for me to sort of fall into some traps along the way. And so, uh, I'm glad that I didn't because I feel that, um, again, like the kind of energy that you put out there is the kind of energy that you're going to get back. And so over time, as I've like tried to maintain as much positivity and calm as I can. I've attracted, you know, new talent and amazing colleagues and just people that enjoy working at the same level. And I'm now able to feel like that I'm in a much better place because of all of that. And so I, I would say that that would be the last thing. Yeah. I think those three are, are fantastic. I, I want to, you know, cause you mentioned as well, especially from 28 to 31, um, you decided to put your personal relationship and your personal life a little bit more at the forefront at that time. Do you have any advice that got you through that period or through your 20s on the personal side that you would share to women in their 20s right now? Well, so the way, the reason why it was, it felt like it became a little bit of a backseat was because I physically was removing myself from the quote unquote industry. I'm New Yorker. I know that how you feel about this, but, and you guys are totally in the game too. I'm not saying that, but (laughs) most would say that LA is where a majority of our work is done. And so when I moved to New York at that age to be with my then boyfriend, now husband, I knew that, um, you know, even though I was coming to LA almost every six weeks for work that, you know, being here for four to five days, every other month 
was not the same as being able to like, okay, someone needs to meet with me tomorrow and I can just pick up and go and see them. And so I, I, I honestly just kind of, faith is such a polarizing word because I'm, I don't mean like in the religious sense, but in the personal sense, I just like maintained faith that I was on the right path for me and that things would align the way that they needed to. And so because starting a family was important to me and finding a partner that had empathy for me and understood my upbringing and because he's also a child of immigrants and divorced parents. And so there was like this, I I knew it was unique and rare what I found and that I needed to protect that. And so because because even though all of this is wonderful, it's not going to be here forever, but your family and friends will. And so there should always still be a little bit of room for you to prioritize that over everything else. Because like I mentioned, I can lose my job tomorrow. And then what will I be? Um, A lot of people, I mean, anyone will say that your success and your self-worth feels like it's measured by the business that you have and the clients that you keep. And while that might be a little true about it on the professional side, on the personal side, you know, that is not, that that's, that's, that's a similar story actually. And so if you don't maintain those relationships, you, you kind of, what do you have in the end? So. I really love that you touched on that. And I think that's a great, segue into the final question and it is something I ask everyone on the show to no surprise but with your career as you talked about and the importance of your personal relationships and that personal life aspect what would you say fulfills you in life as the name of the podcast is what fulfills you what fulfills me is knowing the legacy that I'm going to leave, the, the, the hope that I'm going to be living, leaving a legacy behind for my daughter. That's honestly what made me decide to really like go 150% into my career. I I don't know what switched off in my brain when I pushed her out. I was like, Oh my God, like, is she going to (laughs) be proud of me? Is she like, am I going to be the mom that she tells her friends about that? She just thinks is cool. And like, is, is, is doing something good (laughs) for the world. And, and every day I not only do that for myself, but for her. And so that, that's, that's what fulfills Mm. me. Wow. I love that. And I've always heard too, that your life changes when you have your first child and when you get into that stage of life. So I think that's super meaningful that you brought that up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Rana, for joining me today. Where can everyone find you or just learn more about your work and, and everything else that you do? Sure. Oh my God. I'm, I know I need to change this now. I'm a little embarrassed, but um, <laughs> I, my Instagram and my Twitter handle is Rana Burgundy. Yes. It's a play on words on the Ron Burgundy movies. Thank you. 
Carol. Um, uh, but yes, so if you have any uh, any questions or information that you might need or yeah, just want to stop by and say hello, feel free to reach out to me there. And thank you again for everything. And, and this was a wonderful conversation. And it's really important that uh, people have access to, to someone like you too. So, so keep doing what you're doing. It's really, it's really wonderful. And that was all for today's episode with Rana Zand. I hope you found a lot of value in this conversation as I personally did. In fact, I actually felt a lot of motivation after recording this conversation because it was really refreshing to talk to someone that emphasizes the importance of work ethic and showing up and truly just not complaining about it because that is what it takes, you know. Um, of course, balance and being mindful about your health is always very important and should still be at the forefront. But at the same time, like we talked about in this episode, it's important to remember that if you want to be at a certain level, whether it's in your career or personal life or whatever that is, you have to show up and do the work. And more often than not, that does require certain sacrifices in certain chapters of your life. And so if you enjoy this conversation, please be sure to rate and review the podcast. You can do that on both Spotify and Apple. And of course, share the episode on your Instagram story and tag both of us. The podcast Instagram is at what fulfills you. You guys know that I love when you guys share your feedback and thoughts. And so I appreciate it so much. And thank you again for tuning in this week. I will chat with you all in the next episode.